discovering meaning in life and business. And this pillar is your mindset. It has to do with self-confidence. It has to do with self-awareness. And there are lots of techniques that you can apply every day to reach this state of success mindset. So let's say I were to say now, remember the a time when you were very successful. What is the success that you reached? Can you remember? And I will tell you that people usually have a difficulty uh, writing their successes. If I say, write down three successes that you've had, and they start questioning, was I really successful? Would other people see it as a success? Was this really a success? What was the big deal that I actually achieved? I don't think I've ever had any successes. This is the the mindset most people have because they don't recognize that the success is according to your judgment. It's not how other people see you. It's not how society would judge you because uh, if we face it, society is not what media portrays us as successes. If you were to ask five people around you, can you tell me what successes I've had if they know you well, they will probably tell you a different thing than what you expect to hear. And if you think about it, if you if you are in sales and you have a sales target, let's say you need to sell 5,000 units this year of whatever you're selling, and you're selling 6,000 units this year, will, this is again, the uh, it's like the utility of, um, of salary, it's the utility of success. Will this success do you good Will you feel more successful or will the utility even diminish? This depends mostly on the level of your integrity between what you're doing and what you define as success and your values. Are you acting with integrity towards your values? And this is the only way you can measure success. If your values are only sales, 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 which are, as a matter of fact, for very few people, money is the highest value for a very few people. As a matter of fact, uh, you would have to be somewhat impaired, mentally impaired, if this is your highest value. It's just simply impossible from human nature. But if your value were money and you're overshooting your targets, sales targets, then you would say, yes, this was my success. But otherwise you would look for successes elsewhere. And what you usually do is take the feeling of success and apply it to the next thing you want to achieve. You focus on past performance, but the whole idea is that we need to superimpose this person's skills and attributes into the next role. And that's a whole nother topic, but they're, but they're basically looking to build trust with somebody. Now, one of the key things is that, that you, um, to, to build trust, it's not in the interview. It's not in the interview when you go. Now, if you don't know the organization, you don't know the individual, the interview is very important. But I can tell you that's not when you build trust. You build trust because you interview for the next position every single day at work. You just don't think of it that way. Every day you show up, you're interviewing for that next job. A lot of times when people go into, a, when a manager will go into a hiring mode and, and or want to promote somebody, remember, it's not all about you. They have issues too. They have things that they need to solve. They have stuff that keeps them awake at night. But 
a lot of times they kind of know who they want to hire because they've seen a person every single day perform. They've seen a person every single day handle situations. They've seen a person every single day contribute to solving problems, not contribute to making problems. All those things happen on a daily basis. So if you think of I'm interviewing for my next job, you may get a promotion tomorrow morning. I hope all of you do. And I hope it's because of this webinar. But if you um, um, go in tomorrow morning, get a promotion, I want you the very next day to show up and say, okay, I'm getting ready for the next role. It's got a magical effect on your performance, on your mindset, on your confidence, but also in the way that you become conscious of your behaviors and your actions and, and most importantly, your impact on others. So when I mentor somebody, we focus a lot on this, how to show up every single day, how to solve your boss's problems, and how to begin announcing your candidacy for the next level and how do you move to that box of stars at the upper right-hand corner of, the, of that, of that, um, of that uh, nine grid talent chart. So um, those are the three, in my mind, those are the three biggest career limiters and those things that people do to hold themselves back. Now, obviously each of these has a ton of, um, uh, you know, more work and content, but it kind of points to, to um, you know, the culmination of, of in, in the introduction of this, to this webinar, I talked about stunning results. Um, it can be stunning. It absolutely can be stunning because remember this, whether you believe, it's really important of what you believe and you don't want to have a, a false confidence. I mean, I mean, you don't have to believe and have total faith that you're going to become the, the CEO of the, of, of the world's largest, um, um, you know, organization. You don't have to, that, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about if you believe in yourself in a process, you'll be amazed as, as you continue to think about that next job, the next job and where you're going you've all started to sudden start to think like the person in that job. I remember sitting there listening to the CEO, um, pardon me, the president of, of, of the organization that I was in early in my career and thinking, how did they know to say that? Why would they say that? I didn't like that, but I really did like that. That was really inspirational. I wonder what thought process led them to that. And I would go talk to, at that time, the president saying, how did you think about that? What, what was your, and, and he'd give some insights. It's like, okay, so now I not only know maybe what to say, I kind of know what not to say, but most importantly, I learned what's the thought process that somebody goes through to arrive at those things. And then how do you, over the course of time, wrap that thought process around who you are and a clear understanding of who you are. So you're always looking at the world in 360. So uh, yeah, 360. So you're always looking at it where you're looking out and what are you trying to project? But you also want to watch and see the echo effect of your presence on the room you're in, on the person you're talking to, and then understand what they're saying to you. So you have a full loop of what you look like, somebody looking at you and what you're trying to project. And all the time you're able to learn some things that will help you along the way on really how to think about things. Welcome, this is Mary Ann Cusell. Uh, and I am bringing to you today a really interesting topic that I'm sure that you've been uh, exploring uh, as a leader or as perhaps a salesperson or even in your own personal life. How do I get the highest performance? How do I, who do I need to be? What do I need to do? What skills do I need to have? Now, I'm just going to share my screen with you for a moment. If you want to learn anything more about me, this is really about you. So I would really appreciate it if you went to my website, loveselfmastery.com and just checked out uh, what skills and 
things that you can learn there. I run a tremendous amount of classes. Okay, so uh, first of all, before I get into some really uh, juicy skills for you, if you look at my website, you'll see the other coaches that have qualified what they say about it. So what will you learn? Well, it's pretty simple. If you want to take a screenshot here, you'll have huge self-discovery because my thing is if you don't understand yourself fully, if you don't know your triggers, if you don't know where you're showing up in an unhealthy ego, a really healthy ego, if you don't uh, have the uh, enough attention available to actually be present for others, then we can find frustration coming up a great deal and a lot of stress. Uh, another thing to ask yourself, are you the sort of person that gets really frustrated when you can't control the process or somebody isn't doing what you want them to do? That's when you know this sort of stuff is really right for you that you really would benefit. So how do you, you know, how do you get the best out of people? So to understand what emotional intelligence capabilities are, in respect to how are you going to increase performance there are different types of listening skills where you can actually be present enough to uh, 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 create a, a motivational stream in somebody so for example how many times have you walked into your boss's office or somebody's office in the past and someone's looking at an email going yep what do you want doesn't make you feel very good does it now Hence the word feel. Now, here's, here's the golden nugget. We cannot think our way through things. We've got to actually go into the nervous system and understand what's, what's, this, what's this nervous system telling our, our, ourselves? What are we actually feeling? Because what we tend to do in leadership roles, and most people I coach in senior level management, they're trying to push the cork down under the water all the time and pretend, yeah, no, I'm all good. When the truth is, they are really frustrated, uh, feeling undervalued, struggling. And when we actually acknowledge what's going on in the nervous system, then you've got all this other energy. So you'll learn all about emotional intelligence skills. I will teach you a coaching model, which you'll learn uh, part and parcel today, which will help you increase performance. You'll also, if you do this 12-week program, do life mapping, and that's really, really valuable. So you know where you are in each particular area of your life and where you need to focus on. Now, there's three parts of leadership that is really, really powerful. Uh, and this is an ego that's unhealthy and an ego that's healthy. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because 98% of people who come to me are either operating through a filter of, I'm trying to control everything. I'm trying to protect my reputation somehow, or I'm seeking approval. Now, these are all unknown traits until we start digging deep. And why do we dig deep? Because most people's frustration comes from that staff member or that boss or that person is controlling me. I uh, am not successful because that person isn't measuring up somehow. Or I can't get what I want because I'm feeling controlled. So we start breaking down this part of the uh, defining the ego. Because once we really define it, we can recognize it's coming from a fear of failure, 
often a fear of success, maybe a saboteur, sabotaging uh, belief system. Maybe you're limiting yourself somehow uh, through uh, trying to control everything. And then, of course, if you notice somebody blaming, it's their fault, it's that, it's that reason, these are the reasons why, you'll notice they're trying to protect themselves somehow. Uh, and blaming means I'm not taking responsibility for something. So I really encourage you to have a look at this part of yourself and journal uh, for two minutes on each topic. How control shows up is, how I protect myself is, and what I'm seeking is. You see your heart and you might say your soul, the home of your soul is 24 seven constantly working to bring you into your purpose. Why? Because you are here as a partner to create all things in the universe, including your business, which needs to be in service to others, as does every aspect of it. That's why we're in business, right? We're offering something to others. So the heart bases everything on its universal laws that are divine laws that are in place to support you in every single way. What it also has done is that it has a direct route from your heart center to your mind's eye, which is where all of your imagination and creation takes place. It doesn't get its information from the outside world, the physical world. It only gets its information from the heart and immediately starts to project out the vision, the image in clarity and expansion. And the moment that it begins to do that, it starts to draw more energy in just like itself. And all of a sudden, you start to feel the rhythm of your business, your purpose, your image, your vision coming to life. This is when we feel like everything is just falling into place. Everyone that we need in order to bring that vision to fruition suddenly shows up all of these incredible opportunities because we have begun to see through the mind's eye connected directly to the heart and all of the energy necessary to bring it to life has an open path and away you go. I know that you have seen other people who have had this experience where it's like, oh my God, what? What did they step in? What did they do? How did that happen so fast? So I want to share just very quickly an experience that I had of my own. And this is when I decided to go into manufacturing business. I had never done it before. I had not a clue what I was doing or how to go about doing it. I just had these visions of products that I knew I needed to bring to life. All I did was spend my time 
visualizing their creation and their success. In the meantime, I took the steps that I needed to take on a linear level. In other words, I took the details of my visions and I gave those details to my mind to let my mind go to work to put it into place. I needed an office. I needed an assistant. I needed a computer and get this. I needed an assistant who could teach me how to use the computer because I had no idea. I had no idea how to even send an email. And what I want you to know in six months, I had eight products on the market that were on shelves everywhere. And I had already won three, three international awards for new products on the market. Companies that are engaged are 22% more profitable on average. So what you want to do is you create this compassionate work culture. You get people that are engaged. You get people that are working for you. You get, you know, your staff are your biggest fans, right? And, and when that happens, guess what? It, it, it works in dollars and cents too. It works, it works, it's a monetary thing. It's not woo woo, it's not like, oh. And, and this is what we're talking about here. Your whole, this beautiful leadership summit, this new leadership summit, this is what your speakers have been uh, speaking about. Mark, Adi, Marcy, um, they, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about this kind of elevated way of being where it's not just this dog eat dog world, it's how we're all in this together. We are all in this together. And I think if you understand that we're all in this together and you just make your, your, you know, your table bigger for everybody to come sit at the table, well, all, all that's going to do is put more money on your bottom line. It's going to make life easier for you. Don't have to retrain people. You come up with better ideas. People get to know their job really well, and then they can improve on that position rather than people not really knowing the job and leaving. And then you get somebody else who doesn't really know the job even less. So um, I, I think compassion and turnover, high engagement, all those things, they're, they're, they're all tied in. So I think people are slowly learning, understanding it. But I think part of the problem is um, how you grew into your your role. Right. So if you grew in, if you grew into your position, and it was basically top down, right? So you were whatever. I, I grew up in restaurants, right? So, and, you know, one day you would be a, a, a bartender and if you did your job really, really well, then, um, then all of a sudden the next step is, uh, you know, you're the manager and then you just, you're going to manage like, oh, this is the way I did it. So this is the next way to do it. And, and if you, if you just constantly just do always do what you always done, you'll always get what you always got. Right. These the things we're talking about today. The things this, this whole program has been talking about is, is are things we learn in kindergarten. Be nice, tell the truth, work hard. You know, these are like the most basic fundamentals of just being a good human being. And somewhere along the way, and this is this is this is where it, it shifts. If if we grew up and we still had that kind of childlike, you know, love for other people and idealism and everything else, then when people came into our organizations, they would see an organization that 
like we're built on these principles of trust and caring and compassion, um, but they're, they're not. And, and somewhere along the way, it's because as leaders, we have learned that, no, you've, you've got to be tough. No, don't share your personal life. No, don't, you know, there's this whole, don't be vulnerable. I've got to know all the answers. Don't be vulnerable. Um, but but think about it. When if you get a if you get a leader and you you working with someone and you're going into a meeting and you have a lot of respect and this guy's the boss and this woman's the boss or whatever and you're you're looking up and the very first thing they say to you is say, I got an issue. And when your boss says that, you know your heart starts bumping, right? I got an issue, <laughs> and you're thinking it's yourself. Well, as it turns out, they say I got an issue and I don't know how to solve this problem. Not this big problem, whatever marketing, COVID. Whatever. All of a sudden, it creates a space where somebody says, I'm important. And I'm important. And this guy cares enough about me and thinks enough about me that they're going to approach me on this. And so this is, you know, this is part of the whole, you know, the, you know, the whole equation. We've just got to be better, you know, better people. 30 years ago. I moved to United States to go to school. Studying finance, I was an international student. Uh, so to keep my international student status, I had to be a full-time student. And because I was on my own, I moved there on my own, I was also um, financially supporting myself. So that meant uh, working full-time as well. I was working as an assistant food and beverage director at a hotel restaurant in New York. After I graduated, I left the hotel restaurant business and I started looking for a position in the field of finance because as an international student, we have one year to stay in the States to get an experience in the field we study. And if we're lucky, if we're good, they might sponsor us to stay. Uh, so when I left, I was not much hopeful. Um, and the reason is, if you were to see my resume by then, you would understand it so well. Uh, on my resume, I had nothing related to finance. As Zorina said, before my finance degree, I had a nursing degree. And I was working as a food and beverage director. So nothing related to finance. Um, I did not have any internship experience because again, I was working full-time and going to school full-time. That meant literally I was sleeping four hours on average until I finished school. So no time for internship. And on top of that, my GPA was not even high. I left the restaurant business and I started looking for a job. And a couple of weeks later, one of my bartender called me and he said one of our regular client came to a hotel restaurant and she asked about me, saying that, where is Ushulai? It's been a couple of weeks now. I haven't seen her. Is she on vacation? And my bartender tells her that I left because I finished school and now I'm looking for a position in the field of finance. So this person gives her card to my bartender and says, tell Ushulai to call me. So when I got her card, I was both so excited and so afraid. I am so excited 
because this person was working in one of the world's largest well-known financial information company. That makes me excited. And I was so afraid because of my resume, like they wouldn't call me. But a couple of days later, they called me for interview. I went in, two people interviewed me, not the person, uh, my uh, client from the hotel restaurant, but two different people interviewed me. And they literally hired me on the spot. But of course, don't keep your hopes high. They hired me on the spot because this was a really entry-level position. And it was a 10th position. But who cares? I am in. I am in this company that I would have no idea that I would be. And this was my time now to show them how great I am. This was an opportunity. So about four or five months into staying in the company, they offered me a permanent position. They sponsored me for my uh, work visa, uh, followed by green card, followed by citizenship and all that stuff. I've had that opportunity to work in this amazing company with brilliant people. It was a place that I learned there more than I've learned in school. This is totally true. I've had that opportunity because of my relationship in the hotel restaurant with my client. When she came into hotel, not only I made sure that she's getting good service, good food, I was also genuinely interested in her, asking her questions, how her day was, and then listen to it. The biggest trick is about acting as if you are the leader you want to be acting as if the coach you want to be that you don't have to prove yourself and acting as if here is not faking it because in the heart of acting is empathy and empathy in greek means ensinesis which means feeling into so you play that role out you play it, you feel it. So you go with intention in a conversation. You go with intention. It can be with your kids, with your wife, with your um, husband, with your boss, with anyone. If you go with an intention there that you're already there where you want to be, then what you do is a result of it. What we have learned so far from school, from our parents, from culture, is that we have to walk the having, doing, being path. You have a diploma, then you can do your job to earn money, and then you can be happy. Actually, life happens the opposite, which is first you are happy, fulfilled. Based on that, you do what you do, and you have the fruits based on the being. You will never, never reach happiness by something outside yourself if you go online to create a followership of one million followers because you think this will 
allow you to be fulfilled and happy and to be seen this comes from a state of being which is a state of being of luck that i'm not enough and no matter how many followers you have you will always have that feeling of not being enough but if you act in a way that you are there already then it will reflect back to you exactly this kind and acting is not faking as i said it's feeling into it's observing your thoughts that if i'm loving myself what would i do what would that person do that i admire so much that i how would i react and not react respond to the situation because the mind reacts and the heart or the soul responds and creates a new uh, opportunity. And this is by switching that and having that pure intention. I will quote here Neil Donald Walsh from his book Conversations with God, which says, Choose a state of being. Do this in advance for anything you are going to think, say, or do. Life has very little to do with what you are doing and very much to do with what you are being while you are doing it. The surprising thing about this is that through your pure intention, beingness is transformed from a reaction to a creation. It's no longer something that arises out of an experience, but something you put into an experience. So in practical terms, what this means is that in the same situation, you would react with fear anger trying to sweat the same situation you welcome the situation because you have observed what happened last time and you go into the same situation with a different state of being and this intention won't work the first time but it will help you observe what exactly triggered you to lose that part to play another role, to become something else, because you have to serve certain fears that came up being triggered by others. And this is the, the game. This is the only game you have to play. No other game is needed. Just to observe who you are and choose who you are. You don't have to discover who you are because life is not about discovering yourself. It's about creating yourself. So you choose who you want to be and you act like that. stage if somebody is really that emotionally triggered and they are responding in a dysfunctional way such as avoiding you not reading email having very strong emotional displays at work whatever it is that you see that doesn't it doesn't fit the workplace they probably need some emotional support and the way you do it is a little niche trick an acronym called give that says be gentle don't threat don't don't say things in a in a threatening voice, don't um, make, um, don't punish, don't be, don't be aggressive with the person. Just gently tell them, hey, let's, I want, I want to be helpful. I like your work. I'm seeing that lately, da, 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 da. Let's, let's work on this in an inviting and gentle way. Act interested. You might not be that interested in their family drama. You're still, you're their boss, you're working with them, you're not the therapist. 
but you can still act interested. So show some interest, even if it's not 100% genuine, just for them to feel like they have a little bit of space. The information will be good for you, even if it's not riveting. Um, and validate. And validation is, is a unique thing. It's letting the other person know that you get it, even if it's irrational. So not changing it, not saying but, not giving them advice and not trying to fix it, and not cheerleading them and saying, but you're doing great. If somebody says, I just feel really insecure about it, saying to them, but you're doing so well, that's not validating, that's cheerleading. Validating is saying, I hear it. I hear that you feel insecure. I totally get that this particular task is making you feel insecure. So really seeing it from their perspective, even if it makes no sense to you in the moment, and be a little easy mannered, use a little bit of humor. Don't be too heavy about it um, to create the give space. Yeah. So once you've validated them and the emotions are being felt, understood, you'll notice as the leaders that they tend to calm down. Right? The idea with emotions is that they typically just want attention. And I mean that, I guess, maybe in the best way possible is that the emotion tends to get louder when it feels like it's not being heard, met. And in the worst case, it can be acted out. So if you can do this give thing that Yadi is talking about, you can support, then you can really start to get the person down or to make real decisions and have to have lasting impact that will hopefully help them avoid those types of triggers in the future. So the way to do that is to request some very clear feedback. Again, we've talked about this a million times, but the main thing is focusing on objective statements and outcome measures, which is just another reminder not to be um, judgmental, right? And try to make things as concrete as possible and allow people to succeed. Right. Let them know what works and what doesn't. You want to see if their feedback supports or contradicts the organizational values. Many companies, especially in the modern era, are really about trying to create a culture, right? Trying to create, you know, a set of values, trying to create, you know, a workplace that their employees can believe in and relate to. One of the major benefits of this is that it can come in during these conflict sessions and help to resolve issues to say, hey, we believe in transparency. So thank you so much for telling me about what's going on for you. I really wanna know about your insecurities and I wanna know what the impact that has on you. Hey, in this company, we really appreciate um, you know, commitment. And I can see that you're trying really, really hard and that you're committing. And it's actually some of the ways that I'm communicating that's getting in the way of you doing the work that I know that you wanna do. So bringing up, connecting it to larger system helps them feel included and gives you a common language, right? A way that you can sort of talk about these issues as it relates to the system rather than the two people individually. It's human. It's the most natural thing in the world for us to like confidence. We love confident people. We all love confident people. Let's not fight it. If somebody is confident in themselves and they're projecting that confidence, we love it. And we feel safe with them. We trust them. It makes us feel confident to give them work, to give them projects, to give them promotions. Confidence is, is very, very powerful. The problem with confidence is that for many, many reasons that begin in childhood, generally women are less confident than men. And you know, we can we can talk about why, but generally they are. And so, and it's got nothing to do with how competent they are. So a man generally will be more confident than an equally competent woman and so this can be very difficult because we are very attracted to the confidence and we don't necessarily see behind what i call the confident curtain and see that well actually 
behind that confidence, there's somebody who's not necessarily as competent as that person over there who, who doesn't have and is not projected the same confidence. So, so that is, is, is an extremely fascinating area and, a, a, and what, one that as people who are passionate about driving gender equality, we need to be really, really aware of. We need to catch ourselves and say, am I being, am I being swayed here by the confidence and am I really looking for the competence? behind it and behind that that confident curtain but i think your point about voice i mean it's such a massive one and it's such a fascinating one and and, you know it is true right we um it is absolutely proven as you say that we we love people really are drawn to that deep charismatic tone of voice Mm -hmm. and by the way what drives that deep charismatic tone of voice it's testosterone right and guess who generally which gender generally has more testosterone so there is just a natural a kind of just edge that 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 many men are not all of us but many men have here with that deep voice and it's you know it, there is there are so many examples of women who've been coached to adopt a deeper voice and margaret thatcher is the classic example i mean she was coached in the early stages of her career to lower the tone of her voice because the men would take her more seriously and it absolutely worked for her the whole point of a sensitive person is that that your nervous system is wired to pick more up more stimuli which again, like the lady who originally made this theory popular, um, Dr. Elaine Aaron, uh, she wrote a book about the highly sensitive person, I think already in the 90s. And um, she, actually, if, I think ever since a lot of studies have also been done. Um, and they have now, I think, according to Wikipedia or something, said that there are at least 100 other species in the animal kingdom where they say it's the same thing. So usually 20, 25% of the population are naturally wired differently to be able to pick more information up. Elaine Aaron, she explains it as um, that she's, her theory is, and I don't know if that's been proven, but it's that if you think of animals, they need the people who go, let's say, let's say spies who go before the tribe, who are more sometimes also the wise kings, but definitely who are more doing the advising or like, you know, but the ones who, who are not the fighters or who are not, you know, who are concerned really more with yeah, going in front, so picking up more information, but then also maybe the other characteristic is they process it more deeply as well. So they get more inf- into their awareness and then they process it more deeply um, to then, for example, potentially, I don't know, animals, I guess, don't advise, but be able to communicate in whichever way, like it's safe to go there or it's not safe, this thing is safe or this is not safe. So they might even be able to potentially um, you know, better be able to, to figure out if, if a plant is safe or not, I guess, in the animal kingdom. I don't know. <laughs> I assume that's how it developed. If you're a human person and sensitive and living in the 21st century, um, that, um, yeah, so we are very perceptive, like I said, already um, empathic, um, often creative, intuitive, because, you know, what do you do when you're creative? You're just linking things, different things you're already, which are already there. Um, conscientious often potentially a bit more detail-oriented so traditionally often they've been called oh there's the artists there's the scientists there's the philosophers you know they're 
what else, uh, potentially the therapist or, you know, where you might need these skills. But I think I, I don't want to reduce it only to that because, and that's, again, I have experienced it myself that um, I, for example, have been able in, in some meetings around culture and stuff, uh, but anyway, to, to voice things that were in the room, but outspoken, not spoken, I mean, um, so which, I don't know if no one else picked them up <laughs> or if no one else said them out loud. But the thing is, you know, because yeah, intuition, like it's quite easy usually for sensitive people to just read between the line, like pick up things. Uh, and that's also whether then, okay, but are you heard and seen is so important. Um, so I think, I think my opinion is they are, should be important in most organizations. Everyone is gifted in their own unique ways, but they, they, yeah, they have this ability often to do a lot of deep thinking, for example, and yeah, potentially spotting trends or what, it could be a good idea. Um, but equally, yes, I think they can be really good, for example, to, yeah, build good relationships with clients or colleagues or something, or because they, they're very, they notice everything, not everything. <laughs> and it also depends on how much you develop, of course, your ability, natural abilities, but they are more tuned also to are things fair? Is there harmony? You know, is there justice? And all because they just pick up more of everything, <laughs> so they naturally also notice when things are not working so well. Now think about what happens when somebody disagrees with you in the meeting. So as our brain is, you know, that's how it is wired. So when somebody disagrees with you in the meeting or something, then the emotional part consider it as an attack. And that is why we either get angry, we either get defensive, unless and until you have the attitude of keeping the very open mind. I'll give you one example. I was talking with one of my cousin who might be 15, 20 years older to me, he's a doctor. And I was talking about, there is a very interesting book called The Salt Fix. Okay, I'm forgetting the other, but he talks about the myth that having more salt will increase the blood pressure. So he has in, in his whole book, he's talked about how in the initial 1904, just based on six experts, you know, these things started moving. Uh, you know, there was a lobby of sugar, there was a lobby of salt, you know, I think the lobby of sugar won. And you know what is right now, you know, many people are obese, you know, because of eating a lot of sugar, okay. So while I was talking with him, um, he said, no, 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 um, anything, you know, any food we eat has sugar and salt. So you, wh whatever you eat extra, you know, salt, it is going to harm you. I said, no, no, there is a new you know, book, in a, you know, but he was not ready to listen to me. Okay. Um, because there are several aspects, you know, one is, as you can understand, experience brings ego because you think that, you know, I know more than you. Okay. <laughs> Second is the cultural environment you are in that also brings a lot of egos. For example, in my culture, India, we have, we have a hierarchical culture, culture, okay? Because, and we respect a lot of people who are elder to us, for example. So that also brings a kind of ego, okay? That uh, as I'm, you know, elder to you, then I know more than you, okay? Um, 
but what happens is that you know in this particular process or even power brings ego you, know, you will see powerful people or, or success brings ego right mm-hmm. once you become successful you know you stop responding to your friends email whatever you know it's a very normal human phenomena you will you will see That's right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so um but what's happening in this particular process is that you know you are not able to make a good decision because uh, you are not ready to listen to a contrarian point which could be right so the way this, the discussion i could have uh, witnessed was that okay oh which book you are talking about you know okay let me read it and see you know was it based on any clinical study or something you know what are the arguments in favor of having a salt for example you know i expected that but that was not the case and it's very normal you know uh, that you see even in your meetings when you have with your professional people you will see that um, it's very difficult for people to listen to your arguments you know because what happens is you know um, it's it's a sur- surprising thing you know, because we are considered as humans are rational uh, but actually 90% or 80% of the time we are irrational because what 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 we do is that we already come out with our belief first so ideally to make a good decision we should first do a lot of research okay and you know do a due diligence and then we should have our belief about something but it's the other way around we come out with a belief first and then we try to explain that belief you know with our reasoning having the humility to at least start with that that yes i do not know everything is the first step for a good decision making okay and we feel like somebody else is leading us or we need to lead others we need to pull them or push them in different directions so so the skills i'm going to introduce today uh, are also not only relevant to our working life but also to our everyday life family life and everyday life so before i go into actually introducing the subject I want to just introduce a very short practice that's what I always do with any of my presentations to help the audience whoever is here with us to just be more concentrated and be more in the here and now you don't need to know any meditation practice you don't have to be a meditator or any of that but I just want to gradually and very gently if you like introduce a practice that everyone can do before they go into their uh, you know whatever do, whatever they're doing in the morning uh into the office that's what i used to do when i was going to my office before i switched on my computer so i'll ask everyone to find a comfortable position just just put your feet on the ground just stay in your chair if you're in a chair nothing to do just don't have to change really just stay with dignity as we say the back is straight and i'll ask you to not completely close your eyes but just lower the gaze as we say Just look at the table in front of you. So we just put the intention there to look at the table, whatever is in front of the table. Might be a notebook, might be pens, pencils. And we just breathe and we gather all the information that the eyes are giving us. Anything that's on the table. and we see it as we never seen it before okay and we allow the breath to settle without doing anything about it just looking every single object on our desk or whatever is in front of us just 
every little detail or maybe even the color of the table, anything that's in front of us. And if we like, and if we feel comfortable, we can slowly close our eyes now, only if we want to. And then slowly and gradually, we can turn the intention to look inside the body. We can start with the heart, the lungs, see where the breath is just moving the chest slightly. Just feel the whole of the body now. If there's any tension anywhere, we just observe. So it's an exercise of observation. Just watching what's happening in the body. And as we sit here with the breath, as it manifests, it manifests in the chest, around the nostrils. We can just wonder about our motivation to be here. Are we leaders? Do we want to be leaders? Do we want to improve our leadership? Or maybe we think we are too assertive or we have too much of a leader and we want to step back. Just stay in silence for a minute and see how we relate personally to leadership. How do we see leadership fits into our personality? Is that something we want to be or maybe not? And we slowly and gradually, we just can let go of all this contemplation. We can open our eyes, come back to our screens. If you're a leader, you'd be able to design such a purpose in order to motivate the people. Numbers don't motivate people. A vision, a purpose, a clearly articulated goal motivates them. It's not necessarily uh, what they're giving to the customer, which is how strategy is done at the moment. And I know because I've worked in strategy for quite a few years and I know how strategy purpose is designed. It is, it is designed on top of financials. First, you design a balanced core card and that's the wrong approach. What I believe is the right approach is a holistic approach where you take into account not only the company's purpose, but how we contribute to the customer, to the greater good, but also how do we contribute to everybody in the company? This is what is missing at the moment. How do we contribute to the lives of everybody in the company? Because imagine these people have their lives, they have their relationships, they have their children. There's impact onto the society by us not doing business right, by us not training leaders properly. 
Burnout, by the way, is not caused by people being overworked. It's caused by bad relationships with the leader. It's caused by untrained leaders. So I'd like everybody who is in a leadership position right now to honestly, for themselves, assess and look at their teams, whether they're doing the right thing for their teams and how are these people going back to their families in the evening.